Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. You're listening to the Wicked Library. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to episode 1006 of the Wicked Library. Today, the part of Daniel Foytek will be played by me, Nelson W. Piles. And I thank you for listening. A big thank you to those who took the time to rate us five stars and write a short review for us on iTunes. Your ratings help others find the show, and we love hearing from you. Now, Dan has an advantage of doing these introductions here because he doesn't have the librarian leaning over him literally while he does the read, but uh, I am not so fortunate. So uh, the librarian is glaring at me right now and asking me to remind you all that our first written anthology, 13 Wicked Tales, is available on Amazon in print and in Kindle. It's packed with great tales by some of your favorite authors from the show. It also has beautiful artwork by Jeanette Andromeda. She's fantastic. She's done covers for my books. She's done it for The Lift and for, of course, us here at the Wicked Library. We know you want your own copy of it. So go to thewickedlibrary.com backslash read and get your copy. And as always, before we get started today, a big thank you to those of you who are supporting the show. Without you, this show would not be possible. That is absolutely, positively the truth. And on behalf of our authors and everyone involved in the making of this show, a sincere thank you for your support of this show and independent horror fiction in general. So if you're not supporting the show yet, you can do that at patreon.com backslash wicked library is it patreon or patreon i i I don't know that's why i i I don't do this anymore really today's episode features a dark tale by one of your favorite absolutely one of my favorite authors miracle austin and this is a story she wrote just for us it's called night runner our storyteller is appearing on the wicked library for the very first time but if you're a horror podcast fan you've absolutely heard of him on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, the Simply Scary podcast, and of course, the No Sleep podcast. We are honored and pleased to have Jesse Cornett telling today's story, accompanied by, as usual, a custom score by the great resident composer Nico Vitesi of We Talk of Dreams. If you enjoy the story, please go to Miracle's website, find her work, and buy it. It keeps her making more stories. It keeps you awake at night. Miracle's a fantastic author. I'm sure you'll love her other work if you're not already familiar. And you can learn about Miracle on the bio page at thewickedlibrary.com. And now, without any further ado, let's all hope Dan feels better and is able to speak. Otherwise, you'll hear from me again. Ladies and gentlemen, boils and ghouls, let's get wicked. Chosen. Have you ever really thought about what that word actually means? Honestly, I've never had any reason to. Why is one person picked off while the other person isn't? Now think about it for a moment. In the Grimm's fairy tales, in Friday the 13th movies, most characters are plucked off one by one. 
leaving only a few survivors. Some would argue that it's luck if you end up surviving. Let me tell you this about being a survivor. In my case, it really sucks. I wish I could erase what happened that weekend, but the memory will contaminate me forever. Hell, some things are just not unseen, ever. No matter how many therapy sessions you attend, antidepressants or sleep medications you eat, those memories stick, becoming a permanent file that you'll never be able to delete. Your senior year of high school is supposed to be full of amazing memories, so you can share your stories with your future kids and grandkids, right? Not mine. I didn't even get the chance to graduate. Sometimes when I close my eyes, I see it coming for me. I don't sleep much, especially at night. And my insomnia wasn't triggered from being dumped the day before my senior prom, but because I was forced to watch my older brother get slaughtered in front of me. You know it's true what they say, how your life can change in an instant. And believe me, I had no freaking idea any of this was about to stroll into my life and cause major heartbreak. And before I go any further, let me introduce myself to you. My name is Miles Bolanos, pronounced bo Nose. As you probably deduced, I was a 17-year-old senior ready to depart from high school to begin my college dreams in Cali outside of my small town, Chimney Springs, Texas. However, all my plans started changing way before then. I had prom night all detailed out. I'd scheduled a limousine, ordered my boo a special corsage from an online flower shop based in Hawaii, picked up a sweet tux from a non-local mall, made reservations at the fanciest steakhouse in town, and the best part? I'd booked a room at one of the best spots in Chimney, Penelope's Bed and Breakfast. Okay, don't judge me. Ash and I have been dating for a bit, and you know, we've never... I think you know exactly what I'm referring to. I figured prom would be our magical night, you know what I'm saying? I've been super patient and never wanted to come off as the pushy type. Plus, guys who do that are just dicks. Anyhow, I, I got the RJ room. I bet you're wondering what's that. Well... It stood for the Romeo and Juliet room, lovers only. I viewed all the rooms online and knew this was the one. This room came with everything. Heart-shaped, balcony, windows, bed, rose petals everywhere, pillows, lights, bathtub, and complimentary chocolate strawberries with a bottle of wine. Bubba Hawkins, a cool friend of mine since kindergarten and Boy Scout buddy for almost seven years, made fake IDs for Ash and me a few weeks ago. He even threw in a slow jam playlist of Bruno Mars, Taylor Swift, and Neo. I worked two jobs last fall to save up enough to make this a prom night my girl would never forget. My brother offered to cover all the expenses. <laughs> I turned him down. He knew how important it was for me to take care of this on my own. Enough about all that, though. Let's get back to the story. It all started going downhill for me on Friday afternoon after 4 p.m., when I'd found I'd scored a fat D on my last AP economics quiz, right before the last final. I refocused my mind on my girlfriend, Ash, and the big night I had planned for our last prom at Vikings High. Shuffling towards my locker, I noticed something yellow sticking out of the side. I dropped my backpack to the ground and I pulled it out. 
I must have nicked my finger on the corner. A small trace of blood smeared the edge as I unfolded it. I pressed my bleeding finger against my jean leg and read silently to myself. Hey, Miles. I didn't want to tell you this way, but I figured it would be best like this. I know how you feel about me. I just don't feel the same about you. So, I decided to cancel us out before prom tomorrow night. It just wouldn't be right to go with you. Ash. I read that letter a dozen times before I crumpled it up in my hand and tossed it in the trash bin. I counted each beat from my pounding heart, lowering my chin against my throbbing chest. As I looked up, I saw Ash turning the corner, strutting towards me in those tight purple ripped jeans I'd always salivated over and wearing her favorite baseball cap. I bought her an Oregon Ducks hat last Valentine's Day, along with a duck-shaped lemon-flavored cupcake I had Mama's Little Secrets Bakery make, especially for her, with green duck-stud earrings hidden inside. It was an idea had stolen from one of those crazy reality television shows. This was my chance to squash all this nonsense between us. However, she wasn't alone. My best friend Jesse Stiles had his pinky wrapped around hers. My chest unzipped itself as my heart tumbled out and slid down my legs. I tried to say something. Nothing came out. I thought back about when I'd first met Jesse. Keeping it real and all, I'd rescued him when he'd transferred from another school right after our first snowfall in late November. No one in Miss Kirkpatrick's fourth grade class had talked to him that entire morning. His red corduroy jeans were ten inches above his ankles, and his blue plaid long-sleeve shirt barely stayed buttoned up over his plump stomach whenever he took in deep breaths. Jesse had almost tripped twice over his untied Converse tennis shoes. At lunchtime, I noticed him sitting at a table alone with his head down, doodling in a notebook with a short pencil as the other kids snickered all around him, stuffing their mouths with food. I swear I could hear loud monster growls coming from his table. Maybe his parents had forgotten to give him lunch money or he'd left his lunch in the car. I stood up from where I was sitting and plonked down in the chair next to him. I opened up my paper lunch bag and gave him half of my peanut butter sandwich. Other kids joined us. We hit it off pretty quick once I started talking about Halo and Warcraft video games. Jesse and I were inseparable until he landed his first kiss in 8th grade. Everything started to change right after that with our relationship. Our game-playing days and sneaking into movies at the Chimney Hippodrome on Saturday nights were terminated after he lost 30 pounds and discovered girls. I guess I can't say too much about that. My entire attitude about girls changed when Stacy Jackson pulled me into the empty band room and gave me my first French kiss the summer before my freshman year. During our sophomore year, Jesse went on to become captain of the debate team and drama club, which made him an instant girl magnet. And regardless of all that, he had the balls to go and steal the one girl I had to work so hard for. I finally won Ash Barrington's attention last summer at a cheer camp during the annual welcome party. Ash and Jesse were both laughing and began to lean in to kiss, until she noticed me standing there in the middle of the hall. Ash tore her hand away from his and stopped twelve inches in front of me. Hey man, we thought... 
I mean, I thought you you had volleyball practice today. Jesse said, clearing his throat, slanting his eyes towards Ash and taking a step away from her. I stared into his bouncy gray eyes, thinking about how I'd stood up for him more than once. Coach canceled. I snapped back. The prom decorating committee requested more time to decorate the gym. Sorry you had to find out like this, Miles. I was planning to hit you up later tonight to tell you. Jesse whined as a smarmy smile curled up on his shaven face. No, no, you're not, I shouted. And you, Ash, break up by letter? Really? How weak is that? I don't want any trouble, Ash squealed, stepping behind Jesse, clutching his upper arms. Mumbling under my breath, I jerked my backpack up and adjusted it around my shoulders and said in a gruff tone, You two think I'm going to do something to both of you because my so-called best friend hooked up with my girl, uh, excuse me, ex-girl behind my back? How long has this been going on? You know what? Save it, Bonnie and Clyde. Hope you two kill it at the prom. Deuces. Sprinting toward the metal back doors, I kicked both of them wide open with my foot and got out of there as fast as I could. I jolted towards the graveled parking lot. Then I pressed my key fob, jumped into my Jeep, slammed the door, and sped out of the parking lot with a trail of smoke following behind me. I kept replaying the first day Jesse came into my life. If only I'd never befriended him back then. It would be me holding Ash's hand right now and taking her to the prom. I stepped on the gas pedal harder. I've done everything for you by Rick Springfield blared from my satellite radio. I can't even tell you how fast I was driving as I wove in and out of traffic on the highway and exited onto Whistler Bend. Red and blue lights danced in my rearview mirror. I heard a high-pitched siren over my music. I shook my head, slowed down, and came to a complete stop. I turned my radio off with my right hand and placed it back onto the steering wheel. My heartbeat's rhythm shifted from being dumped to being pulled over by a state trooper. I watched him from the side mirror. One black cowboy boot stepped onto the pavement as the other followed. He adjusted his gun belt around his waist, bent down to place his ebony cowboy hat on his head, slid his top gun shades onto his bearded face and shut his door. He looked up into the sun and towards a field of pink and yellow wildflowers before he approached me. Touching the button, my window rolled down and I turned off the ignition. The officer asked, Boy, do you know how fast you were driving? Facing him, I said, Nope. I noticed his badge read, Bloom. He ripped the shades off his face and yelled, I'm going to ask you one more time, and you best answer me correctly, or I'm going to drag your ass out of there so fast that you won't have time to blink twice. I felt a light splash of spit landing on my upper lip. I turned my head away from him and gripped my steering wheel tighter. A drizzle of sweat ran down the back of my neck and squiggled down my spine. I bit the inner lining of my bottom lip, playing back my dad and late Uncle Satchel's lecture about what to do if I was ever stopped by a police officer. Looking the officer in the eye, I replied in a shaky voice, No, sir. He scanned me from head to toe and said in a stern voice, Better. 
Hand me your driver's license and registration and keep your hands in my clear sight. Reaching over, I handed them over to him and replaced my hand back on the steering wheel. He took them and went back to his vehicle to run my information. I thought about burning off, but before my hand found the ignition button, I smelled cherry-flavored smoke coming from the empty passenger seat. There was only one person who would leave that scent around, and that was Uncle Satchel, who'd always had his pipe in his mouth, while rocking in his checkered yellow and brown chair in his living room, telling me stories about his summer trips visiting his brother in the Big Easy. He was probably the most superstitious person I'd ever known. I rubbed my eyes with my hands to make sure I was seeing what I thought I saw the first time. A wavy, translucent figure in the shape of Uncle Satchel floated a few inches above the seat. He mouthed something to me that I didn't understand, but I knew what he was attempting to tell me. He was warning me not to do anything I would later regret. I closed my eyes, and when I opened them again, he was gone. I wondered if he'd really been there. I sniffed my shirt. It was still there. It felt like an hour before the trooper returned to me. He handed me back my license and registration, leaning inside my window with his shades on. He said, You know, I clocked you driving 50 miles over the speed limit. You could have gotten hurt worse. After he'd issued me my ticket, he said, I hope I never stop you again for speeding. I won't be nice. He lifted a chain from around his neck. It reminded me of a girly locket. He opened it up and pointed at a young girl's picture. The officer said, This was my only kid. She lost her life from a hit and run on this very road years ago, trying to rescue a stray dog. The dog lived. I noticed a single teardrop fall from his shaded eyes. I swallowed hard. He slapped my side door with his open hand, backed up, and retreated back to his vehicle. I waited until he drove off, and I slowly pulled away from the curb and went home. On my way, I thought more about Ash and Jesse. I tried to figure out when he'd made a move on her, and then he hit me. I'd had a flat on our way back from the basketball game against the Belmont Bears four months ago. Jesse had pulled up from nowhere and offered to take Ash home. Like an idiot, I agreed. It was really cold and windy that night. He had that look in his eyes when she climbed out of my truck and her cheerleading skirt flew up. I should have known he was hungry, but I dismissed it. Why would I ever have suspected my best friend moving in on my girl? He was always a smooth talker. I just never imagined him cutting me like this. He beat me when he became the debate captain, and now he'd done it again. I stumbled out of my car, grabbing my bag. Mom's car was gone, which meant she'd been called in to work the emergency room tonight. Again. Dad ended up divorcing Mom when I was in junior high. He couldn't compete with what he termed in his opinion as her second marriage, Woodpeak Hospital. Dad lived almost 25 minutes from our house. He came by the house often, especially when Mom was working. I spent time in his apartment at least once a week. 
I heard some kids playing some hoops across the street. I looked up at the tarnished basketball goal above our garage and thought of my brother, Dallas. His playing style reminded me of Jordan and Bird. I loved attending all of his games. He was the star basketball player at Viking. As I got older, I realized he must have been really high on something bad when scouts came out to watch him for that big game. Dallas moved like a loose noodle. Before the end of the first quarter, he collapsed to the floor and seized out. He was rushed to the emergency room. Dallas ended up dropping out of high school before the end of his senior year. He could have probably had a full ride to any Texas university. He dove straight into truck driving school after he saw a commercial on television one night. I never understood why he just withdrew himself from a game he loved so much. When I asked him what happened that night at the game, he started yelling out loud, throwing stuff all around his room and dropped down to his knees. He cried in my lap for over an hour. I never asked him anything else related to his basketball breakup. Coach Silvers tried to recruit me my freshman year. As soon as he saw me dribble a ball, he threw his hands up in the air and broke his plastic clipboard into two pieces. I had eyes on high school cheerleading, and it came natural for me. Plus, all the girls. I practiced gymnastics when I was really young and started lifting weights in the seventh grade, so I made a great male cheerleader. I knew this would catch Ash's eye. On my way to my bedroom, I saw the bulletin board with a picture collage of Ash, Jesse, and me. I jerked that board from the wall, some of the beige paint coming with it. Peeling all the pictures off the board, I looked at a few before I ripped them up and trashed them all. I thought burning them up would be even better. Before I pursued that, I found bears, t-shirts, and garters that Ash had given me during our time dating. I also found stuff that Jesse had given me over the years. I knew I would probably miss some stuff, but I was driven to gather as much as I could. I tossed all that crap in my Morbius fan-made metal trash can. I grabbed the matchbox out of the kitchen drawer and lighter fluid from the garage. While hugging the can, I opened the back door and shut it behind me. The sun was about to go down. I flipped the barbecue lid up and threw everything inside. I doused it all with a little lighter fluid and scratched a match on the side. Tossing the match on it, I stepped back a few inches while holding my trash can in front of me like a shield. The red and orange flames shot up high for a few seconds. I stood there, just staring and watching their faces melt away. I'd been crushing on Ash since sixth grade, and Jesse knew that. After fifteen minutes, everything was gone. I made sure to close the lid. Returning to my room, I thought I would feel better after ridding myself of everything related to her and him. Yet I didn't because I kept seeing them walking and holding hands. The cheaters had hidden their secret from me. I felt like the biggest dumbass in the world. I should have seen it sooner. There were clues and, and I missed each one. I heard my cell phone beeping. I didn't even check it. I fell back on my bed and drifted off to sleep around 9.30 p.m. Continuous cell phone dings woke me up. I rolled over and pulled my phone from my backpack. I noticed that I had a few text messages from Bubba. 
Most importantly, I had two missed calls from Dallas. I looked at the time, and it was almost 4 a.m. Bubba could wait. I knew that he was only wanting to play a game remotely. I hadn't heard from Dallas in two weeks. Had a long truck run in Arkansas. Dallas never called twice, so I knew something was up when he didn't leave a message. I got up to peep out the window. Mom's car was still gone. I called him up. His phone rung a few times and went straight to voicemail. I left him a message to call me back as soon as he could. I texted Bubba, and just like I thought, he was up gaming with some guys in Chicago and London and Canada. He texted me right back. Bubba begged me to get on to ditch his London partner. I told him to just keep playing and text me a score if he didn't get too busy. He told me to text him all the details about my personal after party with a few winking emojis and a standing ovation gif. I texted him back to tell him that I got dumped and would catch him up on everything next week in school. After I showered and wrapped a towel around my waist, I swiped the mirror with my hand to clear the condensation and stared at myself. I started talking to myself. Why did Ash fall for Jesse? I thought we were solid. I fell for her hard. Maybe too hard. I dated different girls. None of them made my heart feel the way Ash did. I mean, kissing her caused my toes to curl under. You know what I'm talking about? I never expected a betrayal like this. I punched the glass and cracked it. My right knuckle started bleeding. I rinsed it off under cool water and poured some alcohol over it, which made me cringe for a bit and wrapped gauze around it. Car lights shone through my curtains. I threw on some shorts and a shirt. I cracked my door open and I saw my mom coming down the hall with her head down. Her white coat was tossed over her shoulder along with her stethoscope. Her disheveled scrubs and hair confirmed her exhaustion. I stepped back in my doorway and closed the door. I was sure that she had dealt with enough from Friday to Saturday and hearing about my day wasn't important. Crawling back into bed, I picked up my phone to check the time. It was almost 5 a.m., and I saw a text from Dallas. He would be in town after 12 p.m. today for a short rest before his next run midweek. He couldn't have planned it better than this. I knew I could get all of my stuff off my chest with Dallas. I texted Bubba back to see if he was still up and playing. He texted me back that he was still on, and I got online to play a few sessions with him. I was out around 8 a.m., dropping the gaming controller on the floor. When I woke up, it was after 12.15 p.m., and I saw a blurry image of Dallas. He was sitting in a chair in front of me. I sat up in bed. Ready for your big night with Ash? He asked with his arms crossed over his chest and a huge grin over his face. Jesse's taking her, I said. He uncrossed his arms and frowned. What? What do you mean? They've been creeping around and I, I found out yesterday. Huh. That's messed up. Back bag, he demanded, throwing my Vikings cheerleader bag into my lap. 
For what, Dallas? Don't worry about all that. Now get ready. See you in 30. Scratching my head, I asked, What about Mom? I gotcha. He snatched the sheet off me and exited, closing my door behind him. While brushing my teeth with my left hand, I noticed my bandage needed to be changed. I cleaned my wound and redressed it. I found some folded jeans with a t-shirt on the top of my laundry basket in the corner and slid them both on. As I was packing my bag, I noticed my closet door was slightly open. I didn't recall opening it, so I pushed it closed. No more than two minutes after I'd finished packing, the closet door squeaked open again, and I heard something heavy drop to the ground. I slowly placed my hand on top of the doorknob. My brother's basketball varsity jacket had fallen onto the floor. I turned on the swinging light and didn't see anything inside, only a few swaying empty hangers. I bent down to pick it up and was about to hang it up. From the kitchen, Dallas yelled, Pack a jacket! A cold front is coming in later tonight to where we're headed. I retrieved the jacket, pulled the string to turn off the light, shut the door, and that's when I noticed hand-sized red markings on the white door. They resembled the numbers 119. I ran my fingers over the numbers and they lifted off the door in ashes and disappeared into the air. I heard a faint and raspy whisper call out. Miles, beware of one. Grabbing my bag, I tossed a jacket over my shoulder. I looked back at the door, but it was completely blank. I left my room and passed my mom's door. It was still closed. I knew she would be out for a while. Dallas left her a note on the kitchen table. I snatched a banana off the counter and poured a glass of orange juice. Through the window, I saw Dallas's beauty, his solid metallic blue 18-wheeler truck parked at the side of the house. He called her Optima Prime, and her name was written in cursive on his door, surrounded by huge red and silver flames. The flames wrapped around both sides of the truck and the back. He was wiping her down with a towel when he noticed me and waved me to come on. I peeled the banana and chewed it up, and then... I drank down the juice in one swallow and sat the glass in the sink. Picking up my bag, I locked up and climbed up into his truck. The seats were leather and firm. I threw my bag behind me with my jacket on top. As he drove away, Dallas pointed at my hand. I gave him an in-depth summary of everything, including the possible Uncle Satchel ghost visit. I decided to leave the strange door experience out. Dallas listened. I think he believed that I saw Uncle Satchel from the questions he asked me. I wasn't sure where we were headed. He wouldn't tell me. We stopped at a small diner and it was almost 7 p.m. and 65 degrees out when we finished eating. How much further 
I asked with a deep yawn and stretched my arms outward before sliding back into my seat. Relax, we're almost there, Dallas said and patted my head with his hand before we drove off. Scrolling through my phone, I got on click time and saw pre-prom photos. They, Ash and Jesse, were all smiles and hugs. Dallas leaned over. He snapped his fingers and demanded I hand it over. I did, and he dropped it in a compartment on his side door. We drove over a hundred more miles and came upon a gravel road in a deep wooded area. Dallas started slowing down and pointing towards a building with a crazy name in purple and white neon lights. Beaver's Drive-In. It was a big three-story white building with no windows and it didn't look like much on the outside. I noticed two huge movie screens on both sides of the building. The temperature dropped 20 degrees as I opened the door. I grabbed my jacket. Dallas pulled a heavy black sweatshirt over his head and jumped out of the truck. He locked her up. I walked over to his side with my hands shoved in my pockets and asked, can, can I have my phone back? Dallas lit up a cigarette, took a few puffs, wrapped his arms around me and said, <laughs> Not tonight. I still didn't know what we were about to enter. He gave a low-key laugh as he blew smoke up in the air. <laughs> the parking lot was packed with cars, RVs, and trucks. More cars continued to pull in. I noticed that it was mostly guys entering the door, and that's when it clicked for me. A cherry red ram truck pulled up in front of the entrance. A lady jumped out. She was under six feet tall and wore super short denim daisy dukes with pink ruffles, sparkly snow white cowgirl boots, and a low cut short black t-shirt through which you could see her round and full breasts. She bent over to wipe something off her boots and winked in our direction. As she stood back up, she pulled a purple sucker out of her pocket. She slowly peeled the wrapper off and inserted it into her mouth. Dallas placed his hand under my mouth to close it and handed me a handkerchief from his back pocket to wipe my drool. I wiped both sides of my mouth and balled it up in my hand before stuffing it in my pocket. A sudden gust of wind caught her long, curly chocolate hair with silver highlights. The numbers 119 were tattooed on the back of her neck. I remembered what I saw in my closet door, but whispered to myself that it didn't mean anything. How could somebody as hot as her be trouble, right? My breakup was really messing with my eyes. She removed the lollipop from her mouth, fluttered her long eyelashes, and kissed one of the bouncers on his cheek. She slapped him on his rear with her hand, all while staring back at us. Licking her glossy red lips with her tongue, she twirled the candy in her hand like a mini baton. The bouncer opened the door for her as she pranced inside. Dallas and I were only a few feet from the door. The bald-headed bouncer with tats all over his muscular arms asked for our driver's licenses. Dallas jumped in front of me and handed his license over to him. 
The tall bouncer with a curly man bun glided a wand down her outer and inner legs, hips, arms, chest, and back. He waved Alice in. I took my license out of my wallet and prayed it would pass the test. I really wanted to see more of what was inside, especially of the cowgirl. I took a few steps towards Dallas. The bouncer stopped me with his Thanos hand on my chest. He peered at my license while glancing me up and down. He started shaking his head and whistled his buddy over who was checking others in. I was guided to step to the side. He took a rope and hooked it to separate me from the entrance. Dallas amulated over to me and asked, Do we have a problem? The bouncer who had my license looked at him. He crossed his guns and didn't respond to Dallas. So my brother said, I don't think we're going to have a problem. Rolling his eyes, the bouncer held out his hand. Dallas slipped him a hundred dollar bill. He then unhooked the gate. He let out a roaring laugh and said in a low tone, <laughs> Just bullshitting you, kid. Enjoy everything. And I mean everything. The place was bigger than it looked on the outside, and it was packed solid. Loud music blasted. I could feel the wood floors vibrating under my feet. And there were poles, ropes, swings mounted in the mirrored ceilings, themed bars, several disco balls of various sizes, heavy smoke, flashing colored lights, girls, and more girls. They were dressed way less than cowgirl. I'm talking severely sexy, lacy G-string thongs, and no tops. I'd seen topless girls in movies and a few video games, but never in person. Alright, I might as well confess now. I'm sure you've already guessed. Yes, I'm a virgin. Bet you thought I wasn't earlier, right? Booking the big RJ room and all. Anyhow, I had it all planned out. As you already know... I wasn't living it up at prom night. However, I can guarantee you that Jesse would be sick if he knew where I was. What I already had and would witness. I just stood there, taking it all in for a few minutes. A few ladies brushed up against me once or twice. My eyes were wide open. I lost my blinking reflexes until Dallas came up behind me and placed both his hands on my shoulders. He leaned in to whisper in my ear. I'm going to make you forget all about Ash tonight. First, we're getting drinks and tats. Dallas ordered drinks at the celebrity-themed bar. An 80s Madonna impersonator was the bartender. She asked, What do you two want to feel? I'd had a few beers with the guys, but not a real drink. Dallas yelled over the song Freak-A-Leak by Petey Pablo. He pumped his fists in the air and bounced his head sideways. I mirrored his rhythm with my own flavor. Dallas told the bartender, Give me something to numb me and my baby bro. Well, he needs something to make him forget about getting dumped by a loser the day before his, uh, <laughs> you know what? Surprise us, Madonna. He closed his eyes and moved his head to the beat of the music. She nodded and started performing her bartender magic. In less than five minutes, she slid two glasses to us. I lifted my slender glass and asked, Is this cranberry juice? 
That's no cranberry juice, Dallas said with a slight smile, drinking his drink. It was clear with two floating cherries. What are you drinking? Let me taste, I demanded. Holding his glass up with his hand, he said, This right here is way too strong for you, baby bro. (laughs) This here is a triple kamikaze. He drunk it down, popped both cherries in his mouth, and requested another one. I took a few sips, and it was a tasty mix of cranberry and peach juices. Hey, this is nice. What's it called? I continued to drink it down. <laughs> Red-headed slut! <laughs> Dallas screamed out, scooping a handful of peanuts in his hands and throwing them in his mouth. It's really called that? perfect madonna thanks (laughs) she turned around bowed and smiled he looked at the bartender and she slid down another one towards him in a few minutes but he didn't catch it first cowgirl did she leaned backwards drunk it and slammed the glass down she slithered around his entire body and pressed her backside against his I finished my drink and kept my eyes on the show. She whispered something to him and kissed him on the mouth. Cowgirl then turned around to face me and ran her hands through my hair. Her lips were lined up with mine. My heart felt like it was going to shoot all the way to Mars. She outlined my quivering lips with the tips of her black nails and she kissed me on my cheek. Yup, you forgot all about her. Dallas said with a huge smile. Who? My eyebrows shot up. Exactly! Hey, give us another round, please! Cowgirl smiled and started heading back towards the dance floor. Hey, hey, what's your name? I shouted while rubbing my hand across my mouth. I could taste a sour, buried floral scent mixed with heavy nicotine. Cowgirl will do just fine. See you two later. Hey, I I never told you my nickname for you. (laughs) You just did. I stroked my chin with my hand and thought about what she just said. The dense smoke swallowed her up in the crowd fast. Dallas, thank you, man, I said. He looked over at me while rotating his glass in his hands and he asked, For what? For bringing me here. I really needed this. Think you've had enough already. Nah, I'm just getting started. (laughs) I'm cutting you off soon. Come on, let's go get those tats. Dallas and I went up the spiral stairs to the second floor, where he knocked on a glass door. Yanking on the end of his shirt with my hand, I asked, Hey, this isn't your first time at Beaver's Drive-In, is it? What gives you that idea? He asked and grinned. You know your way around here, Dallas. By by the way, why is it called Beaver's Drive-In anyhow? Some friends told me that the owner, Beaver Womack, owned a drive-in, but he wasn't making enough to cover the expenses. So he decided to keep the name and open up a dance club with perks, Dallas said with a single wink and opened the door for me. There were a few people getting tats, 
I flopped down in a black leather recliner and Dallas did the same next to me. I'd always wanted a tat. I looked on the walls and saw some awesome designs and symbols such as the Mandalorian, vampire fangs, ACDC, skulls, college logos, eagles, snakes, and so many others. There were too many for me to make up my mind. Do you you know what you're getting? I asked Alice. Sure do. I've been wanting this one for a while, he said. Hold up. Don't, Don't you already have some tats? Nope, he said, tying up his shoulder length wavy hair with a rubber band and pulling off his shirt. Wait, you told me you were getting one last year. You know, I thought about it. I wanted to wait to get one with you. Oh man, that, that really means a lot to me for us to bond like this. He looked at me for a minute and said, Miles, there's something I've been meaning to tell you for a long time. His eyes looked teary. He wiped his face with his open palm. Focusing my eyes on his, I asked, What? <sighs> Later, okay? Later. Here, look through these albums. You might get inspired. He handed me two big tat books. I flipped through them for over 15 minutes before I came up with an idea of what I wanted on my chest. A black heart with a chain wrapped around it and two red lightsabers linking the chain ends together. I thought the needle pain would be the worst, but I'm sure the alcohol helped and it would hit me all at once in the morning. And what I didn't know then was that I would experience a much greater pain than that. Dallas looked over and gave me a thumbs up. I endured the drilling until he finished and bandaged it up. The tat artist handed me a paper list of instructions of all the do's and don'ts. I folded it up and placed it in my back pocket. As Dallas's guy finished up his tat on him, he beckoned me over to check it out. I studied it for almost five minutes before I spoke. Smashed up black letters with no vowels decorated his lower forearm, while a detailed silver dragon tail with specks of crimson wrapped around his upper arm and neck. The head of the Chinese dragon rested in the middle of his back. I tried to make out what the letters meant. F-G-H-T-F-F-Y R-D-M-N-S. Okay, I give up. What, what, what does it mean? Pausing for a few seconds, he responded back to me. It stands for Fight Off Your Demons. The tat guy bandaged him up, too. Lowering his head, he sputtered out, I'm gonna release all of them. Tonight. Uh, that's pretty deep, bro. I stared into his eyes and noticed his jittery hands. You okay? I placed my hand on his shoulder. Yeah, he said, squeezing his nostrils together with his thumb and index finger. Come on, let's go. Thanks, guys, for the great work. They gave us high fives and started cleaning their tools. Dallas paid the cashier, and we descended downstairs. More people kept piling inside. We found a table by the middle of the stage 
Cool spot, Dallas. I reserved it for when you told me your prom plans were off. A waitress took our order. Two beers, waters, and a large bowl of mega-flaming nachos with various peppers, cheeses, and beef. The main show was in 30 minutes. I watched girls swinging upside down all around me. The waitress returned with our order. I popped a nacho in my mouth and guzzled my drink down. Dallas laughed at me and said, <laughs> I guess I should have warned you. <laughs> that would have been nice. <clears throat> hey, your tat. What was that all about? I picked up my beer bottle and pressed it against my tingling lips to take a few sips. Dallas drunk down his beer in one gulp. He waved another waitress over and requested more beers. I felt that he wanted to tell me something heavy, but wasn't sure he was ready to. He glanced down at his arm. Miles, I did something unforgivable, and I never told anyone. He scooted down in the chair and dropped his head down. The waitress returned and placed the beers on the table. I scooted my chair closer to him. Hey, you know you can trust me, right? He lifted his head up, and I saw tears pooling around his eyes. Yes. That's, that's why I'm telling you. I should have told you everything when you first asked me that night. I figured you were too young to know what kind of brother you had. So I waited. Alice, I, I love you, man. No matter what, I said without a blink. You might change your mind after you learn the truth. No, I won't. He took in deep breaths and said, The night before the big game, Jet Wilson and I got really drunk at a party. His brother told Jet not to get in the car. He did. And I jumped in the passenger seat and we burn off. Dallas went silent on me for over a minute. I prodded him. What happened? We hit her in Jet's Porsche and left her bleeding out. We didn't stop to help her or call 911. Jet sped off. I called his brother. His dad got rid of the car and told us to never breathe a word to anyone. You kept this with you all this time? I asked in a crackled voice. I had to. I told Jet the next day, a few hours before the game, I needed something to help me forget. He gave me some kind of drug cocktail that caused me to fall out and have a seizure on the court. The doc told me I nearly went into cardiac arrest. I wished I had died that night, Miles. Dallas, don't, don't say that. You weren't the one driving. I was there. I'm just as guilty as Jet. I didn't do shit to save her. I could have said something. I was part of a young girl's murder 
and I chose to leave her there to die. So I'm going to write my confession and deliver it to the police department after I sober up. Sure you want to do that now? Miles, I got to. It's the only way I can get rid of my darkness. What about Jet? Don't know. He ghosted me several months back. Tears flowed from Dallas. I hugged him. We got some stares from others, but I couldn't care less. He picked up another beer to drink from. You should have told me sooner. Nah, I had to do this on my own time, you know? I, I see her crossing the road in my dreams almost every night. Sometimes I swear I've seen her on the side roads during my truck runs. And I see the blood. All the blood splattered on the road. He wiped his wet face with the back of his sleeve. I patted his shoulder. Something pushed me to ask. Dallas, what was the road and the girl's name? His eyes scanned the floor and he said, Whistler Bend and Ruthie Ann Bloom. I could never forget her name after hearing about her on the news and seeing her scared face and those headlights replay in my mind. Why do you want to know? The cop who gave me a ticket earlier? His name was Bloom. And that's where I got pulled over. He showed me Ruthie's picture. Damn. What are the odds of that? He shook his head. You see, that's my sign to finally tell the truth and turn myself in for my crime. <sighs> Before I could reply, two hands touched our shoulders. We turned around, and it was Cowgirl. Hey, fellas. Y'all okay? She asked. You know, there's only one rule at Beaver's Drive-In. What's that? Hmm. No tears. Ever. Only good times here, she said as she wiped under Dallas's wet eyes with her thumb and tilted his chin to the side with her hand. She bent down and pressed plump, moist lips against his for a kiss. I timed it. The kiss lasted at least two minutes and 37 seconds. Opening his eyes... Dallas muttered. You're right. He reached for another beer and started drinking. Lights waved across the room and the black curtain started raising up for the big show. Pour some sugar on me by Def Leppard pumped out of the speakers. Purring, cowgirl asked. How about a three-way private party out back? Dallas's bottle almost slipped out of his hand. He caught it by the neck before it did. I knew Cowgirl had her eyes on Dallas and I didn't roll that way. Dallas knew that too. He needed the distraction now. Not me. I planned on enjoying the performance. Hey, uh, I'll be back, Miles, so we can finish our combo, alright? 
I'm going to find you somebody tonight, he said, shoving some money in my hand and grabbing a beer off the table. Cowgirl wrapped her arms around his waist. They weaved through the crowd and vanished. The show became a blur to me as I thought about everything my brother had just laid on me. Glancing down at my watch, I noticed over an hour had gone by. I watched another show and looked at the time again. It was almost midnight. Something told me to go check on Dallas. I slid my jacket on slowly. I abandoned the club scene and headed for Dallas's truck. I opened the passenger door and noticed velvet red panties draped on the steering wheel and shorts over my headrest. Cowgirl's boots were tossed on the dashboard. Climbing up the step, I heard some deep moans and screams. I began to back down with a slight smile and thought to myself, she must be really something. Before my foot touched the ground, the entire truck rocked hard and caused me to fall onto my back. I recovered fast and jumped up. I rushed up inside the truck and noticed blood swimming down the metal floor towards my tennis shoes. Running towards the back of the cab, I pushed a beaded curtain back with my hands. It felt ice cold inside the trailer. I could see my breath in the air. Before I tell you what I perceived holding my brother's bloody, nearly skinless body almost 14 feet up in the air, you may want to sit down. It was hard for me to believe. Once I saw the tattoo glowing on the back of this monster's neck as its hair stood straight up in the air, I knew it was Cowgirl. She lassoed her long, jagged, barbed tail around my brother's neck. Run, Miles! <clears throat> Dallas gurgled as blood squirted out of his mouth. He gasped and closed his eyes. I noticed a flare gun on the floor, so I picked it up and pointed it at a cowgirl, pulling the trigger back. She heard the click and jerked her head around to face me. Her eyes enlarged, and she snapped her wrist, throwing me against the wall. The gun fired towards the roof. Landing in a pile of Dallas's skin, I watched her mouth open wide to spray a coffee ground-like vomit all over him, which started to dissolve his body. She unhinged her jaw, swallowing what was left of him. My mouth, arms, and legs were frozen. Tears shot from my eyes and my heart felt like it was about to explode. The beast glared at me with her red eyes framed with neon yellow slits. Her tail retracted. Then she clawed over to me with her hooved feet and serrated claws. Her nose split wide open as she rose up off the ground. I tried to move, but couldn't. She towered over me, her darting eyes focused on my bandaged hand. Her bloody claws pinned my chin up against the wall. She bent down, flicking her forked tongue and licked my hand, leaving behind slime that smelled like fresh dog poop on a steaming hot Texas summer morning. She hissed. Moving across my chest, she took in a big whiff and popped up, crazy fast, sliding backwards on the bloody, fleshy floor towards the corner. 
Snaking up the metal wall, she tore it wide open with her claws. She looked back at me, and she said in a choppy whisper, He had it coming! Her tongue dragged across her protruding fangs, and she jetted out. I scurried over to the large hole to make sure she was gone, and I saw her running at cheetah speed into the darkness. I plummeted down to my trembling knees and took in everything. Tears raced down my cheeks. After a few minutes, I heard sirens. Cop cars and an ambulance encircled the truck. I was briefly questioned and told I would be taken to the police station for more questioning. I retrieved my phone and bag from the truck. An EMT took my vitals and gave me a medical assessment as the cops examined the inside and the outside of Dallas's truck. You were lucky, kid. Many don't walk away like you after something like that, the EMT guy said as he took the blood pressure cuff from around my arm. He told me my blood pressure was up some and he handed me a towelette to wipe my face and neck. I told him my head was pounding. He gave me medication in a paper cup and a water bottle. He instructed me to lay down on the gurney inside. He assessed the scratches on my face and dabbed ointment on them. What do you mean? Listen, I'm not supposed to tell you, but this isn't the first time I've seen something like this. No human could cause a truck that kind of damage. I knew that much. I wanted to know what that thing was. He looked around his vehicle and over both shoulders and whispered, Two questions. Did you know the victim? And did the victim hold a secret? Yeah. I nodded. What did this to my brother? A night runner. It's a descendant from the Reaper shapeshifter family. There are many. They're strategic assassins who work for the Restless Spirits realm. Night Runners can transform into anything and can be over-the-top alluring when they need to be. Some beckon their victims here. This place is well known for high death tolls because of them. Really? I sat up. I didn't want to believe him. But how else could all this be explained? Yes, they're extremely nasty creatures who search for the guilty who have committed unspeakable crimes to the innocents. They wait for the victim's death to be witnessed by a loved one so the witness can endure suffering and eternal punishment. A night runner will only spare the witness if he or she is pure or protected by something. Protected? I asked. A protection bag, usually made up of salt, is shreds of silver, thin metal horseshoe strings, and holy water soaked lily petals. He took a few steps back. I don't think so. Check all your pockets. He focused on me. 
The last pocket I checked was an inner jacket one I'd never noticed before. I pulled out a tan crisscross tied pouch. I untied it and all those elements stared back at me. He pointed his finger at it and said, There. I bet that night runner hightailed it away from you once she knew you possessed that. I guess so. I closed the bag up and placed it in my front jeans pocket. Don't worry about going to the station. It's only routine. This town knows all about Night Runner's modus operandi. <sighs> Be safe out there. He handed me a card with his contact information. I thanked him. Stepping down from the ambulance, I looked back at him and I asked, How do you know all this stuff about them? He turned around to face me as he started cleaning up and said, Someone told me about them when my life was also spared, years ago. Somebody was definitely watching over you tonight, kid. After that night, I now know that losing Ash and a friendship were trivial compared to the permanent removal of Dallas from my life. Something I would have to deal with on my own. I knew who saved me that night and I had to continue to live. I had a lot to learn about Night Runners. I definitely had a future date with Cowgirl. Let's go for a ride. There are many stories here. Like this place. Like many things here. Some have become lost. But all lost things yearn to be found. And all stories long to be told. I've searched through my building. Gathering up stories from every floor. From the basement to the ninth story, and every floor in between. Stories of choice, of the hopeless, the redeemable, and the lost. Stories that will unlock something inside of you and carry you through fear to your future. Get your copy of the Lift's First Anthology on Amazon in print and Kindle. Let's go for a read. 